You're listening to the Believe in Giants podcast with Giants legend Carl Banks and broadcaster Bob Papa. Welcome to another edition of Believe in Giants. Bob Papa with two-time Super Bowl champion Carl Banks, and we're going to talk everything Big Blue Thursday night. Giants take on Washington, and both of these teams losing their opening week games. Giants losing to the Broncos. Washington losing to the Chargers. And, uh, Carl, how, how shocked were you? I know I was shocked that the Giants played as poorly as they did in this football game. I'm not saying that I thought that they would definitely win or not, but I, I thought it, the game would be completely different. You know, coming out of training camp, you felt good about certain areas of the team, and uh, you had lingering questions about the other. And the one area that I thought would really be ready to play, and I thought they were way ahead of uh, the offense was the defense. You know, coming out of camp, I felt the defense was ahead of the offense. And, um, you know, they left a lot to be desired in in how they uh, played, especially in pass coverage. Um, I don't think that the adjustments were there. I thought that Pat Shermer basically outcoached um, Patrick Graham. And, and, and their team outplayed the Giants' defense, clearly, uh, because they got what they wanted, mostly on uh, third and fourth down whenever they wanted it. And that's uncharacteristic. Um, I don't think that's going to be a pattern with this team, because I think from a personnel standpoint, uh, they have really good players, and they have players that play at a high level. So I think they'll get this stuff cleaned up but they can expect teams to try some of the same schematics that uh, the Broncos employed. And, you know, defense is a, and I say this as a team sport, it's not a duh moment, but meaning when you know that a team's game plan is to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands fast, that's gonna negate your pass rush unless you can get guys covered. And, you know, all the film study I did on uh, in my knowledge of what Pat Shermer likes to do with his quarterbacks, it's a two read system for them. It's a read in the drop. Per, as he's beginning to drop, he reads his first. If that guy's covered, he goes immediately to the second guy. Um, and that's that's been true. You can look at all their film last year. They don't have a one, two, three progression. They have a one, two progression. Um, and they were getting the ball out. By the time Teddy's back foot hit, the ball was out. So if we look at all the games, the first week of the season, the theme has been get the ball out of the quarterback's hands. And um, every offense has employed that. So when you have that um, facing your defense, that means you're going to have to be cover first, rush second guys. Now, you're going to continue to rush to get pressure, but your coverage has to be tight early because the one thing that can produce sacks is to get on timing offenses, is to make sure that you get those guys disrupted at the line of scrimmage or in coverage. So when that quarterback back foot hit, he sees his one was covered as he's going back. And when that two guy is not open, that's when your opportunities for sacks come. And that's what happened 
on the few occasions the Giants were able to get pressure is that their coverage was really good. And when you once you can do that, then you play the, the, the game on your terms. I think up front, they played the run, I would say better than okay, but, but not great. Um, and then they give up a big one that just took away all of that effort. Um, and then, you know, listen, on the offensive side of the football, coming out of the Patriots game, what did you think would be the biggest issue when facing the Denver Broncos? Well, pass protection. Yeah, because coming out of that Patriots game, it was a nightmare. It looked like the same old offensive line. Well, the good news is that they were okay. The Broncos' pass rush did not destroy. They weren't the reason why the Giants lost this football game. It wasn't their pass rush. It was the Giants' inability to run the football and to seize on opportunities in the red zone. That's the story of this game when you take what the offense I'm sorry, what the defense could not do and the offense could not do. The other thing, when I talk about complementary football, if the Denver Broncos going into the third quarter, I don't know if it was midway or early on, they had 50 offensive plays and the Giants had 19. So it's hard to get anything established offensively when you don't have the possessions because Every time you take the field, you feel like you got to make something happen. And when they did not, and the Broncos were just eating up clock um, and running plays and getting what they wanted, it just put you behind mentally. You're saying, oh boy, uh, this offense is not going to have many opportunities with the way this defense is playing. Yeah. I mean, listen, they were seven of 15 on third downs. And they were three for three on fourth downs. And it's pretty hard to get into an offensive rhythm when the other team is playing keep away. I'm just, uh, I got the, I got the play by play out here mm -hmm. and I'm just uh, <clears throat> trying to look for the halftime stats, but you know, you take a look at this first half and you know, they had the ball for most of the first half. Yeah. And look, just going back to the defense, you know, I have complete confidence in Patrick Graham and more importantly, I have complete confidence in the players on that defensive side mm -hmm. of the ball. I think they're going to get it figured out. I think they'll get it fixed. They were a good defense as the year wore on last year. Um, I, you know, I, I have confidence in them. I, yeah. I have a lot of confidence in them. Look, Denver basically kind of, spit in the face of the Giants to me near the end of the first half. And what I mean by that is you realize with like just under a minute to go in the first half with the ball at the 49 yard line, the Broncos went for it on yeah. fourth and two. Yeah. So you're sitting there and you're saying, my God, they're going for it on fourth and two here. If they turn it over on downs, you're two first downs away, you know, from the Giants getting a field goal. And, uh, you know. But what ends up happening points. is they scored. Yeah. So basically what I mean by spitting in the Giants' face, they felt, Vilk Fangio felt, and Ed Donatel, the defensive coordinator, felt, if we don't make this, we're not scared of the Giants' offense. Right. We're not, we're not scared of them. Conversely, Pat Shermer, the offensive coordinator, was saying, 
we're not scared of this defense. They can't stop us. Where it is pitch and catch yeah. on the perimeter. So listen, that was that was a little bit of a come to Jesus moment in that game where they basically sure. said, We don't respect you. Right. And we're doing this. So when when I've had conversations with Patrick Graham, dating back to last year, his big thing was they gotta learn to start fast and not let teams score at the end of halves. That's been a tendency of that defense. Well, the first part was good because they got off to a good start. They set the tone in the first series of the game. I think they forced a punt, correct? Mm -hmm. So they had that part, but then it was, what are you going to do in the pass game? And they did not make adjustments. And I think what coaches can sometimes do is start continuing to hit a rock and beat it and beat it and beat it. And if your hammer ain't big enough, you ain't going to break it. And you're just chipping away. And what they should have done is made the adjustment and got a bigger hammer. Meaning when Patrick Graham is trying to figure it out, the simplest thing is to get the guys in something that everybody can play. Now, when they're getting killed with crossing routes and, and I call them backdoor plays where they're running something behind the linebacker and the linebackers looking the opposite direction, get them in a coverage where they can see everything. There's quarters coverage where the linebackers and safeties and corners keep everything in front of them. And, you know, even with those deep crossing routes, you're able to get those because what you do know about Teddy Bridgewater, if you watch the film on him and what Pat Shermer has his quarterbacks do, including Daniel Jones early, his, his rookie year is getting the ball out of their hands. Your first read is in your drop back. By the time your second foot hits, you either got your first read or you got your second read wide open. And then every once in a while, they'll take a shot, right? But because they were hitting the Giants on some things and their, their eye discipline was all wrong, Patrick Graham, instead of like trying to reconfigure what's not working, sometimes, and I would tell him this, he and I are really good friends. Um, I would say, listen, find the coverage to stop the bleeding, right? Find the coverage that'll keep everything in front of your guys so you can see crossers, you can see deep routes. And if they're patient enough to try to take something deep on you and run somebody through your cover four, I'm willing to bet you your pass rush would get there before he could get the ball off because the, the offense was not designed that way. They were designed and it's, the, it's, it's their MO. Um, you look at every play they had, it was some type of crosser. They, now they dropped the vertical route, but um, most of that stuff was crossers. Second look, you go look at um, Bridgewater. It's, if he locks in on the first guy, he knows he's going to clear, he drops it out there. But if you're in a cover three versus a cover four, a guy can uncover. But when you get in a cover four and it takes a lot longer to get a safety, pull a safety out on a deep crossing route, I'm willing to bet the Giants pass rush would settle that problem. So They've got to be, uh, and, and this is something that Bill Belichick was very good at. If something's not working, he's not going to keep hammering it and saying, here's what we got to do. Because once you see your guys can't stop it, 
it's no sense in trying to coach it up. Right. What you have to do is pull out of it, get them all in something that they can play and where they can see everything. Now, you may not be um, stopping a two-yard route or a four-yard route. But I guarantee you it won't be seven and eight that turn into 15. It's going to be five to six, and you're going to tackle a guy, right? And you're going to make them line up. But when you're giving up these routes and these guys are catching and running the football, that's not what you want to be in. So the one thing that Belichick did very well with us as a coordinator is you got a game, or you got you got what you think is a great game plan. And if they got something different for you, then you assess what you're good at and put your guys in positions where they can see everything, make tackles. And if, like I said, if that other team, if you know they are a two-look passing team, what you have to do is say, okay, if you think you can run a guy through cover four and pull my safety out, I bet you my pass rush will get there. And I think that's what would happen. So they've got to be better at that. That's where Patrick can't get flustered and start digging in his bag. It's time now to put some of the crayons back in the box and say, okay, until we can get this thing stabilized, we're going to get into something that we can see everything because this is all they're hitting us with. They're hitting us with crossers and backdoor crossers, right? So I'm going to put everybody in it and we're going to see everything and we'll be able to, to get some stops. What do you make of this, uh, the utilization or lack of utilization of Jabril Peppers? So last year he played in 98% of the Giants' defensive snaps. In this game, he played in less than 50%. Mm-hmm. Now, I know they were using him on punt return or whatever. He seemed a little miffed by his lack of utilization. Um, it, you know, look, Belichick guys, or Patrick Graham is from that school. I mean, they game plan and they utilize people the way they see fit. Sometimes you have a big role. Sometimes you don't have a big role. Do you read much into it? Or is, is do you think they think between Logan Ryan and Xavier McKinney that they're better? Now, Peppers, by his own admission, said, hey, I didn't play great either. I gave up a couple of huge third downs. I got to be better in my coverage. But um, you think that was something that was more game plan design than anything else? Well, I think once they uh, saw him struggling in man-to-man coverage, I think um, they wanted to put more athletes on the field. That didn't help them. That's my point. It's time sometimes instead of just pulling out guys thinking you can put a better guy in to beat their, their scheme, Sometimes, like I said, you you put a few crayons back in the box, put them in something they can play. Now, um, I could fix Peppers right away. If they're going to put him on tight ends, he should win that every single time, especially a tight end that's not of the elite caliber of the guy he covers in practice or any of these elite tight ends in the league. When he lines up, in man coverage, number one, he gives a tight end a two-way go. Number two, there's no contact. If you get a tight end, if I'm Jabril Peppers, I got a smaller frame. They got a wider frame. The first thing I would do if I'm on the tight end and his name isn't Kelsey or Ingram or any of these really good tight ends in the league, the first thing I do is stick my hands in his chest, grab those arm that arm plate up under there, and jab him at the line of scrimmage, 
One, it disrupts the, um, the timing of the play if he's part of that pattern. Two, you'll beat those guys in the foot race. So now you just equaled it up, but letting him, giving him a head start, not knowing where he's going to go is um, a disadvantage. But you see this all over the league. And this is something that, you know, uh, Coach Jerome Henderson, they teach physicality. They, 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 they preach uh, hand placement and jamming when they're in press coverage. Why Jabril doesn't do it, that's one. Number two, if you've got a leverage on the outside or the inside, play that leverage and then play that bigger tight end. I'm telling you, these guys don't want to tussle you. It's enough, you know, like I said, with the exception of these, these, these really good tight ends in the league, most of these guys just want to get running because they are, they are not as coordinated or gifted as receivers and route runners as the elite tight ends in the league. So what he has to do, and I could fix it in a day, line up, know your coverage, right? Number two, know your advantage. Your advantage, because you're the little guy, doesn't mean that you're going to be overpowered because these, these non-elite tight ends, I'm not going to call these guys average because he had a really good game. But these guys, when you look at them and they don't have a release, they don't have great footwork, the first thing you do to your advantage because you're a better athlete, First thing you do, run right up in his chest, jab. You got three yards, you got four yards. I don't know whatever they give you. It ain't going to take but two. If you can latch on for that long and let him go, that play's over because they want that quarterback, the ball out of the quarterback's hand. So, you know, you have to use those things to your advantage. And, you know, when I see Coach uh, Henderson, I'll let him know. I say, look, you got your guys have to know, you know, your cornerbacks know it. Well, you guys have to know when you're playing a tight end and if you're scouting them and they're not of the elite level, first thing you look at is release, right? And then you say to yourself, okay, we got a chance to stab, you know, to stab this guy. And then the next thing you, you emphasize to yourself as a coverage guy, okay, what's my leverage? Every time I line up, first thing I need to know is what my leverage is. And when I got my leverage set, now I'm going to go play this guy physical for one or two steps. That's all it's going to take because you can beat him in a foot race. You just can't give him a head start, not knowing which direction he's going to go. Right. You know, it's like chasing a dog or a cat. You're chasing after him, they're zigging and zagging. You go one way, he goes the other. Equalize it. The great equalizer is knowing your leverage and playing physical. When you're in press coverage, they're easier to press than a wide receiver. So go up in there, press them, throw the timing off, and your job is done. All right, we gotta we gotta transition to the offense and then we gotta get into this week's game. But before we do that, I'm admiring that sweatshirt. Um, you know, G3 apparel uh brought starter brand back from the dead. Is so is that a giant version of one or is it just got a little red, blue, white, and blue on the on this the sleeve? This is a red, white, and blue, but it's my giants, but we have an incredible giants locker. We have an NFL locker room collection coming back, but it's a it's the 50th anniversary of Starter. And so I wanted to go back to the um, to the essence of when Starter first became sideline, when they redefined what sideline should look like. Um, so I have some of the old school verbiage, 
um, football club instead of football right now. That sweatshirt because it looks. It's very soft. It's very soft. So um, yeah, we've got we've got some fun stuff coming up. Um, But starter is um, starter is the reason we see sidelines like we see them today. Um, Now, obviously, Nike has taken it to a different level in their shoe companies, but starter David Beckerman was the guy who decided to make NFL sidelines a runway and he decided to make fandom a wearable experience. No, I was telling my kid, like when I went, when I was a kid, like we were at Yankee stadium when it could be at MetLife stadium and, you know, a majority of the people that are there are wearing a Jersey. Yeah. So he was asking me, dad, when you were a kid, did you have a Jersey? I said, you, they didn't have a Jersey. There was no, you had to be rich. And yeah. go to Cosby's outside of Madison Square Garden, yeah. where they actually made the jerseys yeah. for the teams, the Rangers and the Knicks, especially. And you know, you had to, you, it was, it was, it was, it, they would hang them in Cosby's yeah. outside the garden, and you would walk in there, and I'm like, oh my God, that's a real Nick jersey. That's what it really yes. looks like. But they didn't, you know, other than the Sears Christmas catalog, where you could get the knockoff jersey once a yeah. year that you would order it. <laughs> there were no jerseys to be had. No, that's so true. all right. Well, that's a little, a little history on starter. Speaking I'll give you of one more. You mentioned the yeah. Yankees. One more. Did you know that the late great George Steinbrenner had a warehouse full of starter jackets during all of their World Series runs? I didn't know this until his daughter told me. She said he was so superstitious that he had Mitchell Modell, the owner of Modell Sporting Goods, right? A state was a staple in New York. He made him take every starter jacket he had and put it in a warehouse so that he would never run out because he only wanted the Yankees to wear starter jackets during their run. Talk about uh, a heck of a run, a heck of an endorsement for starter. The boss was wearing it. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of soft, Carl, I want to get to the Giants offense. Uh, In effect, they scored seven points in the game. I mean, officially 13 Jones on the last play of the game pass protection wasn't bad, right? I mean, Giant fans, you know, we've heard Joe Judge in the last two days talk about that. But my goodness gracious, their inability to run the football. And there was no, there was nothing there to be had. Like, you can talk about Saquon Barkley being rusty, but there were a couple of runs that Jim Brown couldn't have gotten five yards. So, and they're going against a lot better defensive front this week. Right. So if you, if you pair, and I just saw some stat was a little bit unfair that said that um, Saquon Barkley spent more time running East and West, right? That's true. And if you pair that East and West running with the Giants zone blocking or inability to guys were getting strung out. And there was nowhere to go. I say that to say, with all the love I have for Jason Garrett, it's time to employ some power run schemes. You've got to be able, whenever the Giants have been really effective running the football, it's been with some type of power run scheme. When you look at all, even without Barkley last year, when Wayne Gallman was in there, they weren't running 
zone stretch plays. They can't run. Their guys are not strong enough laterally to do that, to sustain blocks. They get pushed back. But the one thing they can do is when they get in that, and, and, and it's a Freddie Kitchens thing. Freddie, when Freddie was in, in um, Cleveland, they employed power run schemes. That is what these guys, Will Hernandez, put him in, put, put him pulling and let him knock somebody out of the hole. That's what they have to be able to do. They got to be able to trap and run powers. This zone run scheme, again, take a look at it as a coach. And if it ain't working and you know you have other types of plays that you can uh, employ or deploy during the course of a game, you need to get to those right away. Right. And in Dallas, he had the luxury of having Tyron Smith, um, Zach Martin. These guys are first team perennial, first team all pros. Right. Uh, Travis Frederick at center who retired, but even the other guys along the line, like they had pro bowl linemen in Dallas, the giants, you know, all due respect, they don't have pro bowl linemen. No. Well, here's the reason the Dallas Cowboys had lateral strength. That was what they were good at. They could get a guy on the edge of a shoulder pad and push him five yards out of a hole. I mean, when you look at Ezekiel Elliott, and every backup he had, they averaged four yards before contact. So if you can't do that with this group, but they do have a different skill set, and if you go back and you evaluate the film and you see all the Giants' successful runs, a great majority of those came off with some type of power scheme. That's what you got to use your guys for. Put them in a power scheme, let them get out, knock some guys out, give them angles, like point blank angles. They are not strong laterally. It's just a fact. Um, that's probably one of the reasons why they don't, they don't handle twist very well, which they did this past week, but because they don't, their, their lateral movement and their, their power base and the strength of how they block is not lateral. It's give them angles, let them get a running start to knock some guys off. Um, so with Jason Garrett, I think it's evident, like, don't, again, stop trying to put a square in a circle. It doesn't work. See what you got. You know you can get plays when you're in a power um, power run scheme. And I, I, I don't sit in any meeting, so I don't know what they discuss. Um, but I would, I would pick... Freddie Kitchen's brain. Say, so how do we get these guys on angle? They they run the ball effectively in Cleveland. Um, I think what this team can do offensively with up front to run the football is to start to do some traps and power type things. And it also gives you an opportunity. I think maybe they may be a, a bit afraid when it comes to play action pass because you vacate an area. And they may be afraid of the um, penetration, but you can still play action off a zone scheme. You don't have to. It, you don't have to pass the ball off of a trap. You can pass the ball off of a zone scheme, but you also have a boot available to you out of that power, um, that power run, run, run stuff. Um, and then the other thing is the um, nobody was fooled uh, play that they ran. Kadarius to, Tony, uh, come on, we were doing. 
we're, we're calling the game. I'm like, and into the game for the first time is the Giants' first round draft pick, Kadarius Tony. And then, and then as soon as he went in motion on the jet sweep, I'm like, I knew he was going to get the ball. Well, it was the and worst. So did Von secret. Miller. <laughs> right. It was the worst kept secret, right? So you can't get the ball to the edge on a zone play. And then you want to run a jet sweep to the outside where those guys line up outside anyway. Von Miller, I don't think, is lined up head up against anybody in six years. They put him on an edge and they, you know, just turn everything back or get the edge and, and rush the passer. But here's, here's the reason why it's the worst kept secret in all of sports. If you go back to Cole Beasley in Dallas, what was he known for? Jet sweeps. They used to run him on jet sweeps all the time. All preseason, the Giants were showing jet sweep, running a few jet sweeps. So if you're preparing for a guy who's been out for all of mini camp and training camp, right? and you know that he's that type of player, if you're game planning, your scouting report says, when this guy comes in, be alert for a jet sweep. Yeah, exactly. Jet sweep or a slant, a quick slant. Things that he can do right away. Um, the two plays that they ran to him, guess what they were? Jet sweep and quick slant. Yeah, I mean, they could have probably, if they, if they, the first play was in the game, if they would have faked the jet sweep to him, the Broncos would have been totally flustered. Well, anyway, listen, that no, they wouldn't have. They'd have been looking right at it because they line their guys up on the edge and. They know that um, Jason Garrett runs the jet sweep motion quite a bit. So it doesn't fool anybody. All right, let's get to the quarterback. Um, big year for Daniel Jones. Here's the thing. All right, 30 fumbles now. Ridiculous. And the fumble that he had in the third quarter with 258 to go in the third. Giants are down 10. First and 10 at the Broncos, 22-yard line. Here's what concerns me about the fumble. Well, first, I mean, obviously the physical part of it, that he had two hands on the ball and he still fumbled it. But here's what really concerns me. We know that he went to Duke. We know he was coached very well in the college game by David Cutcliffe, who's the official quarterback guru of the Manning family. And we know talking with Pat Shermer when he was the head coach of the Giants, talked about, uh, talked about Daniel Jones coming into the league with a very high football IQ. Mm -hmm. The thing that has me a little concerned is this was more to me of a mental mistake than even a physical mistake. And what I mean by that is situational awareness, being smart, you are driving the ball. You trail by 10 points. You've got a first and 10 at the 22. You drop back to pass. Everybody's covered. You're a really good athlete, and you know your wheels can carry you. So you take off and run. As soon as he breaks the line of scrimmage, and as soon as he's got five, six, seven yards, and he sees the two linebackers in front of him, what are you doing trying to fight for an extra yard or two? Second and eight, second and, I mean, second and two, second and three, you've already won first down. 
he has to be as the quarterback. He has to be smarter than that between the ears to just say, damn, I just got seven on first down here. Nelly, I'm going to a baseball slide. Right. What is that? Listen, if it's the it's if it's the if it's eight seconds to go in the game and you have to score a touchdown to win and it's fourth down and you're out of timeouts and you're scrambling and now you're going for the end zone, yeah, do it, go for it. Mm-hmm. What, what's so, what's he doing there? That well, scares me that he's making that mistake year three. Forget about well, fumbling it. That situational awareness, Bob. Um, now I, I don't think this is going to happen again in that situation. I'm not saying he's not going to fumble again. Um, but when you talk he did about slide later in the game, I'll give him yeah. for that. So when you talk about um, 30 fumbles, right? I'm going to look at this year as one fumble. I'm not going to, the subtotal, I mean, the total and the subtotal is going to be what it's going to be. But this season, he has one fumble. Let's see if he has less than he had last year. Yeah, because some of the fumbles that he had, especially his rookie season when he had 18 of them, that was just bad ball security in the pocket. Yeah. Where he was getting the ball knocked out. Yeah. This one was him taking on two linebackers like a knucklehead. And yeah. So, all right. But he's got it. But, but no, those- no, the point remains he has to have better ball security. And the fact is, it doesn't erase the fact that he has 30 fumbles, but he has one this year. So, um, like I said, the subtotals are going to be what they are until this season's over, and then it'll be another total. But right now, he has one this year, and it was a costly one. Let's see if he, and he learned, obviously, later on in the game, like you said, he slid. Um, but he has to have situational awareness. And the thing is, the knock on Daniel Jones is his decision-making. You know, I don't buy, and I and I hear um, a lot of people that are furthering this this narrative that Daniel Jones is book smart and not football smart. I totally disagree with that. Now he's made some bad decisions with the football, which is all correctable. He's not, not a dummy it, playing quarterback. No, that's not what we got from Pat Shermer when we would talk to Coach Shermer, you know, every week. Yeah, and, on the record and off the record. Yeah, and. Um, his numbers, his rookie year says he knows a little bit about playing football. All right. So who let the dogs out? Um, that's Oscar. Well, this is a big game this week. All right. Yep. So Washington really good on the defensive side of the ball, especially up front. They got the, they got sweat and chase young. They got the two Alabama guys on the inside. First round picks. They're really stout. They're really good. But styles make fights. You know, yeah. I do a lot of boxing and styles yeah. make fights. And for whatever the reason, the Giants have beaten Washington now five in a row. Daniel Jones only has what, like eight wins in his career? Four yeah. of them are against Washington. He's 4-0 yeah. and against Washington. I'm going to give you his numbers because I got my, my no cards are almost done go. for the week. 65%, 900 yards, eight touchdowns, three interceptions, a QBR of 95.5 against him. Plus, he's got 123 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. Barkley has only played against him three times. He's averaging 8.1 yards per carry. He's got a 78 and a 67-yard touchdown run against him. Plus, he's got 190 yards receiving against him. 
Shep's got three career touchdowns against him. Um, you know, for whatever the reason, they match up, or Jason Garrett, or even when Pat Shermer was there, they seem to just match up well against Washington. Do you now Washington? Well, Washington matches up well with the Giants too. Like let, let's let's not look at this as though the Giants have run away with this. Last year, the total margin of victory in between uh, um, both t- both games added up is four points. Four points separated them, and Washington had opportunities. Now the Giants came up with a big play. Um, yeah, Peppers and Logan Ryan had late interceptions. Correct. Um, but they, you know, I'm sure if you're Washington, you're thinking, you know what? We can get over this hump because we have our moments against the Giants and they just have trouble finishing games. Both games last year, they had trouble finishing. Now, um, the one thing that the Giants have been really good at that stood out in both of these games is that they held Washington's rushers to under 100 yards. Now, if they can control the run game, they'll get the passing game fixed. Now, they're dealing with their second-string quarterback now. Um, yeah, Taylor Heineke. Heineke can, can move around a little bit. He can he can show some flash, so they've got to make sure they keep him corralled. But the thing that the Giants have to do defensively is to build on the fact that they can stop the run. That's what they got to do defensively and then shore up their pass coverage. That'll be an advantage to them offensively. Their first game, they went over 160 yards rushing. Second game, I think it was about 100, right? Let me see. Yeah, Gallman had 68. Alfred Morris had 67. That was in the second game, correct? That was in the first game, the November game. Okay, and then the second game... Freeman had 61 and Daniel Jones had 74. Correct. So look, I got, I got last year's charts too. Yeah. Yeah. And remember, remember in that game, by the way, Riverboat Ron went for two at the end of the game. Correct. Giants could have easily lost that. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those deals where if you're Washington, you're as a player, you're saying, we got, you know, we're equal, if not better than these guys. And if you're the coach, you either have to, if you're Ron Rivera, you got to stop being so arrogant and, and coach it the right way. But if you take the risk, you, you know, you, you, you take what the other end of it is. Here's a shocker from last week. You know, we talked about the Giants' inability to get off the field on third down. Washington, which... You know, we, we talk about their front seven. It's damn good. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I don't think they're, I don't think they're secondary. I don't think their secondary is nearly as good as Denver's secondary. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Although they have a fuller on their team as well. Um, playing corner. They're obviously yeah. the guys are brothers. Um, but how about this in the game last week? The Chargers completed 14 of 19 third downs. Yeah. 74%. And how about this? Gibson fumbles at the four. 
Williams scores the touchdown to put um, put the Chargers ahead, twenty to sixteen. Washington gets the ball back. They wind up punting it away. And how about this? The Chargers ran the last six minutes and 43 seconds of the game out. They went on a 15-play, 72-yard drive. Washington never got the ball back. I got to think Washington's defense, like the Giants' defense, a little embarrassed by what happened. Sure, and they'll get better. Like early in the season, you're going to see some rust, right? And the time to steal these games are the, are, are the teams that make the least amount of mistakes, fundamentally and assignment-wise. So the Giants have to be buttoned up. Their offense uh, will have to continue to improve. Like the passing game, the Giants were able to hit some plays. They were able to hit, get their targets. And people were like, well, why didn't they go to uh, Gall- Galladay earlier? Well, there wasn't earlier. There was 19 plays going into the third yeah. uh, quarter. So you take what's available. And that was Slayton and that was Sterling Shepard. Those were the guys that were moving the chain. So I couldn't tell you if Galladay was getting doubled. I don't, I, you know, I don't know what that process was, but late in the game, when they started to get more opportunities, Galladay factored in. So it's not, it's not a, a Galladay. It's not a matter of, of, um, when he gets the ball or why he's not getting the ball early. It's just a matter of them getting him the ball so he could be effective. And he did. And he showed you a lot of why the Giants got him there. That long wingspan, he snagged one out of midair. Um, these stole are the one that, from stole one from a defender. Yeah. So don't, don't think that the Giants are not using him effectively. They just didn't have opportunities to use them. They went with, what was working and that was Slayton and that was that was Shepard for their biggest plays of the game um and then they they factored in the rest of their passing game when they had more opportunities but the reality is when you don't have a lot of opportunities it's hard to you know to start spreading the ball around you go with a guy who can get open early based on the defensive scheme you're seeing and the matchups that you have all right um you know You've been, you've been looking at my boards for years, my charts. I got some nuggets here I want to share with our audience here. And this is why you got to tell your friends to subscribe because I'm giving you a little exclusive stuff. Washington has not won back-to-back NFC East titles. And they're the defending division champs since 82, 83, and 84. And they won three in a row. Carl, um, you were drafted by the Giants in 84. Washington was a, a really good team in that decade, mm-hmm. uh, wound up winning Super Bowl and the whole deal. Um, what was it like playing against them? Um, there was a great appreciation for the way they played the game and as rivals. Um, it was similar to what it is now, bare-knuckle brawls, um, great matchups. Everybody trying to figure out how to get one up on each other. Um, but like when you played those guys, you knew what type of game it was going to be. And it's shaping up that way in this rivalry now um, that you're going to have to play physical up front. Your skill position guys have got to be on their game. Um, and you've got to take advantage of some, some weaknesses that they show. And, you know, every team has those. But your best guys have to show up. 
better than their best guys. So you do what you have to do. If you're the Giants offensive line to keep Sweat and you keep uh, Chase Young out of your quarterback's face, your quarterback has to be smart with the football because he has an advantage. His ability to run it, they have to respect it. Um, because, again, he had 74 yards in their last one. So they know he's a threat to run it. So now they got to defend all 11 guys on the field, not just 10. He's 11, uh, and he factors in. So you've got to be smart about how you use him, um, but you've got to set the tone. Um, and this is, and even when I played, you knew you had to set the tone early against Washington because they get a little something going, especially down there. Um, they get a little battery in their back and the, the crowd gets behind them and they're, they're raring to go. Carl, I hate to say it, but this is like, this is such a huge game for the giants. And I know, listen, I know 2007, they went on to to start the season. They won the super bowl. I know, I know all the, the, that stuff. But when you think about this team and just from a psychological standpoint, from the players, organization-wise, and fan base, the people that are watching us right now, this thing shocked the crap out of me. Since the start of the 2017 season, the Giants are the only team, the only team in the NFL that at no point in the 2017, 18, 19, or 20 season was ever above 500. They have so not been. That was what, six years, five years? 17, 18, 19, 20. So four full seasons. And now, yeah, it's only four years. That's a graduation cycle. Damn, that sucks, though. Nobody, the Jaguars, the Jets, the Lions, like everybody's yeah, I, I, been I at least it. two and one. Listen, I, I, you know, I can't be on this podcast being an apologist, but they have a chance to change the narrative this year. And let's see if it happens. That, that That's all I can say about that. I mean, the facts are what they are, but those facts are in the rearview mirror. And in order to get beyond those, you got to go forward. You can't stay stuck and you can't keep thinking about um, what you haven't done. You just got to worry about the task at hand and see if you can change the narrative. It, it's just hard. Um, for anybody to even attempt to defend things. And it just gives all the detractors an opportunity to take shots at your team, at your management, at your ownership. Um, and it's so interesting too, because um, my good friend, Mike Lombardi, he took shots at the organization top Holy to bottom. Holy crap. He took shots at the owner. He took shots at the personnel guys. He took shots at the GM. He took shots at the coach. He took shots at the coordinators. He took shots at the players. So the only way to stop that is not to argue. It's just to show them. Well, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the Giants can't argue anything. Because when I give and, you that and it's useless stat. If you're a fan, right, and you're a defender of this team, you cannot. You just have to take it. You have to take it and implore your guys to be better, to change that narrative. I think, you know, the, the, the contrary to what the narrative is, there is not a great separation in talent across the league. There are some great players and there are some really good players. And then the rest 
are players that have roles that have to do jobs. And the Giants have their share of really good players. I don't know if they have a great player on their roster, but they got some really good ones. Um, and they've got some, some players that, that are capable of getting the job done. But you cannot change a narrative when somebody says your entire organization sucks from top to bottom and you can't evaluate your way um, through anything until you, you go out and prove it. Like yeah, you're, you're right. Like you got, you, you can't, you can't fire back. You just have to show me. Yeah. You got to eat it. You know, <clears throat> there was a narrative about Leonard Williams when he was with the jets, right? Uh, couldn't finish, couldn't do this. Then he gets with another team and he, he's lights out, but I'm sure if we go back and look, there were some people that were killing the fact that they drafted Leonard Williams because he has, he's been a disappointment. So I mean, as players and coaches, you got to evaluate how you approach things, the effort you put in, and the you know the, the the sense of purpose that you have. But you cannot do that listening. You can't have rabbit ears where you listen to everything that that's being said about you. Just assume that it's all bad because you haven't done anything for people to say good things. So once you assume it's all bad, now go about do do your business. You don't have to hear what they're saying. You know it's all bad. Go win one in a row. Go yep. win one in a row this week. Get to one and one. And then yep. go win one in a row against Atlanta. And then this streak will be over because then there'd be two and one. And then you wouldn't have to hear about this one. Exactly. Um, Carl, we're just about, uh, I guess we just about covered everything. But I, I want to, you know, during the, I want to give a little nugget here. So I'm, I'm holding up my charts again. If you can see right here, the overtime part. So if this game goes to overtime, Y'all can win a bar bet against your friends. If you're sitting there watching the game with somebody, say you could say, hey, you know when the last time the Giants played an overtime game? Last time the Giants played an overtime game? December 22nd, 2019 at Washington. Daniel Jones to Caden Smith. Giants won 41-35. And you could say, hey, bet you don't know when the last time Washington played an overtime game. Well, that was the last time Washington played an overtime game, too. There so, you go. Go win yourself a bar bet. Carl, we got to get everybody to, uh, we got to get people to subscribe. Hopefully everybody's enjoying the content. I like the free wheeling thing we got going here and the starter. I love that sweatshirt, by the way. Yeah, thank you. I'll get you one. I love it. It's beautiful. Tell everybody to subscribe. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And uh, once this thing is, once this game is over on Thursday night, uh, we'll chop it up and see where, where, where this team stands. But 17 tests this year and yeah. one's in the back pocket right now. Yeah. All right, my man. All right, man. See you down in uh, FedEx Field where we will be rocking and rolling on Giants Radio. For Carl From Banks. The back of the end zone. Oh, my God. It is the worst piece of crap location. So, wait, wait, where am I? See this yeah. area right up here? Yeah. We're MetLife. way over there. Yeah, that, that's MetLife Stadium where we have a great seat. Yeah. yeah, it's the worst, it's the worst view in all the league. Most of these new stadiums now, don't get me on a new stadium rant, where I, I totally get build a new stadium, want to sell suites, want to sell good seats, so you move the press box really high. I got it. You want to put it on the top of the stadium? I'm fine with that. I understand the business of the world. But if you're going to put us high, at least put us close to midfield or at least between the 35s. So many of these new stadiums now, 
they're putting us in the back corner of end zones. Minnesota sucks. Well, no, uh, no, nothing sucks more than the FedEx because they put us in the corner of an end zone and then they've got this huge obstruction hanging down where we have to crane our necks to see what's going on when the ball gets to a certain point on the field. Well, not only, see, here's the thing, not only when the corner of the end zone, but we're just above the lower level. So when the ball gets to near midfield and crosses midfield going away from us, we have no idea if the ball is at the 45 or the 15. Can't tell. You know, AT&T Stadium, again, way the hell high up. We're in the corner of the end zone there, too. It ain't great shakes. But at least when you're high, you can kind of see down. Yeah. Um, so, but Washington is the worst. Tell your friends. Everybody knows it. It's the stadium formerly known as Jack Kent Cook Stadium. Yeah is the worst spot, but we'll have fun doing it. It's Thursday night, prime time. And by the way, another fun fact for my little note card for everybody before we let you go, even though the Giants tend to stink on primetime games, if you're a Giant fan and you're watching this, and you probably since you were a little kid, not a lot of wins in primetime, but they are three and one on Thursday night football when they play Washington. There we go. It's my little nugget. All right, Carl, we'll see you down to FedEx field. You got it. For Carl Banks, I'm Bob Papa. Tell everybody, join the army. Tell a friend. Believe in Giants podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.